0: So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Feeling unmarried and dissatisfied ever, especially this time of year, we're going to talk about that with Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Joe Secor, we're taking your questions, whether it has to do with that season in life, or maybe you're in your 20s, your 30s, or you know someone who is, and you just feel like you're in a rut. You wish you had kids. You wish you were getting married. We'll talk about that today on Trending, or if you have a question for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Joe Secor, give us a call, numbers 1-888-914-9149, or you can also ask on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're there. We threw that question box up there. Also be unpacking later on during the show, the 12 Days of Christmas song, Broken Down. Uh, There's a fun tradition that holds that this song is actually a hidden catechesis. Uh, for a time when Catholics in England were being persecuted. So I'll talk a little bit about that, and it's a good way uh, to incorporate in those 12 days of Christmas uh, catechesis into your home in a fun song that we all know from this Christmas season. If you're asking, no, I haven't had a baby yet. Some of you might have gotten my false alarm that I was just too tempted to post on social media. Today's the birthday of my first baby girl, she's two years old, and I'm due today on her birthday. So I I I couldn't resist posting a newborn photo, and for many of those who are just scrolling, a little panic moment. I actually got a phone call from my sister this afternoon because she panicked thinking I had the baby, and said, I just talked to you two hours ago, and I couldn't believe it when I saw that I found out on Facebook, and then she had that moment where she realized it was my first daughter. So, all fun, but walking down memory lane, I can't believe it's been two years already. Time has flown by. Uh, If you want to see some of those fun photos, you can check them out on Instagram, just follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, and apparently that is a place to be if there's news for the baby as well. But joining me now is licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Sikora. You can find him at JoeSikora.com. That's J-O-E-S-I-K-O-R-R-A.com. You can subscribe to his podcast there, and stay tuned for his new book coming out this January. The whole world's going crazy, but you don't have to. A scriptural and psychological response to what's happening in the world. We want to unpack today the topic of being unmarried and dissatisfied. I remember when I was in that season of, you know, having dated my now husband for a while and still not being married and, you know, having these holiday celebrations or just day-to-day living and wishing sometimes, you know, while you're enjoying and having fun with your family, you also wish you maybe were the one that also had kids that, You're, you know, going home with your spouse. Uh, There can be a lot of frustration. I remember one of my friends... Would become frustrated because she was the only uh, adult child in her family who didn't have children. So she was the last person to be consulted when it came to uh, Christmas arrangements or plans. She said, I really just want to host, you know, Christmas at my house one day? But it's always someone else's who's uh, have has kids and on their timeline. And I remember just saying, you know, if you want to host Christmas for everyone, you'll be adaptable with kids' schedules, but offer. And you know, there were different things that you know became difficult for that season when you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, and you wish you were married. I think so many people have been there, and there's this natural, I think, sort of dissatisfaction that occurs that while you might be having a great time with family and friends, there's this longing that can be so prevalent. So to unpack this today, that sense of dissatisfaction, desire, is Joe sakura Joe, welcome back to Trending.
1: Oh, it's so great to be with you, and this is actually a really fun topic, talking about that those early years, your 20s, your 30s, and what leads to dissatisfaction, what leads to satisfaction, and there's so many myths, in a way, about you know how, how being young is so great and awesome, but the truth is, we're actually at our most miserable, believe it or not, we start entering into that, <laughs> I hate to say this because it sounds like a bummer, <laughs> but there's actually good news, is we actually... At about 21, our life satisfaction drops quite a bit and it goes down and then it starts rebounding. So the good news is this, if you're in your 20s or your 30s, and I've never worked with so many young people in my life, and it's a great joy to do it, but if you're feeling miserable right now and you're thinking, boy, I should have everything, I should be so excited because I'm in my 20s or 30s, life does get better. In fact, it continues to get better way into our old age, even in our 80s or 90s, if you live so long. So that's the great news. But I, I think the whole idea, Timory, of talking about even the difference between the 20s and 30s and why is it so different and, and you know, what are the challenges unique to both decades? I, I think that's just a great and a fun topic. So.
0: Of yeah, course let's unpack it because yeah yeah, yeah yeah let's unpack it because I think on one side I see the dissatisfaction that is so prevalent so many people more than ever before are in that you know single or maybe dating but unmarried and wanting to be married or maybe even married and desiring children with that infertility struggle and that dissatisfaction is so prevalent but I also see it where it's like okay now I desire a second child or now I desire that home or to buy my home or to have this type of car there are so many I think, desires that are really, really strong in those years for the next step always. Uh, and yet at the same time there's a religious co- component to that that you know dissatisfaction is a signpost um, that will always be there, pointing us toward the only one who will satisfy us and that is God. But then there's another thing where it's just a natural season in life like you're talking about and that this is one of the most natural seasons to feel dissatisfied. So let's talk about it a little bit more so first in terms of the, that 20 year age range.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting about it is because when you watch TV, (coughs) sorry, and you look at people and you go, wow, you know, in some sense, that's when physically you're at your prime, you know, when you're in your 20s and your 30s and everything else, you look great, you recover from injuries, you've got this fantastic metabolism that, you know, you can eat pizza all night and abuse your body and wake up and look great the next day. But, you know, it, it all starts to change in the 30s. But again, let's go back to 20s. Because what happens is all of a sudden you reach this magical age, whether it's 18 or 21, and there are these expectations of you, you know, to achieve, to have a job, to to look great, to have a nice car, to have, you know, graduated from a nice college, whatever it is, you know. And in, in one sense, we get a lot of passes in our 20s. You know, you're not expected to have a house when you get out of college. You're not expected to have everything all together. You're not expected to have that job that you're going to have for the rest of your life. So you get kind of a pass. But it's also difficult because all of a sudden you've got this newfound freedom. You don't have a teacher telling you when to show up (laughs) for your class. You don't have your parents demanding that you're home by 10 at night. But you don't really know what to do with your life. You know, you realize you've got this responsibility and have got to start making better choices. Not that we all do. But that's a real challenge, uh, you know, emotionally. And yet, you know, you start making decisions, you go out and you play in your party and you realize, wow, my, my life isn't moving forward. And I think as you move through your twenties, especially towards your thirties, there is becomes this pressure. And this is what makes thirties more difficult in a sense. There becomes this pressure to actually perform, to actually achieve, uh, you know, I'll never forget when I was young and in my twenties, and I got married pretty young. I was twenty-three years old, and you know, and I love that aspect. I love being married very young. But I saw my friends who were maybe a little older than me, or in their twenties or their thirties, and I thought, oh my gosh, they're unbelievably achievers. You know, they're they're living these lives, they have these houses, and I just couldn't see it in my future. And I think that's one of the things that causes such great angst as we go from our 20s toward our 30s and especially, you know, if you're younger, you've got this social media where you're doing these comparisons and you're seeing and everybody's life looks so terrific except for yours, you know, and it's a real challenge, you know, so there's Mm, a lot of real challenges. Sorry, you Yeah,
0: I I agree that. It's (laughs) a comparison that enters in as well.
1: Yep. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, and again, that's something that you and, you know, younger people have to deal with far more than like when I was in my 20s, you know, because we didn't go online and see how terrific everybody's life was looking. (laughs) You know, we just talked to each other. Yeah, or seemed exactly. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I think the other thing that makes 20s really challenging, and 20s to 30s, that whole thing is, you know, When you're in high school, you've got your built-in friend group, and then maybe if you go to college, that changes, but you've still got your built-in friend group, and then all of a sudden you graduate, and some of your besties, you know, they go off, they live in a different state, some of them, you know, step into high-achieving jobs, you might not, Uh, I always considered that I was a late bloomer myself. But it's harder to make friends. You know, this is something that all of a sudden you've got to figure out. You know, where do you make friends? How do you make those connections? And then here's where it's really challenging, I think, is that all of a sudden, you know, whereas if, let's just say you're fortunate enough to go to college, you know, you, your friends are the ones in the sociology department or psychology department or wh- whatever, communications, whatever you're doing. But now, all of a sudden, you might be the same age as somebody, whether it's your 20s or early 30s, but they go off and their interests become divergent. They become something different. You know, they get interested in finance. And and even though you're each 28 years old, say, you know, you might be thinking more about starting a family and and focusing on that. So there's all these things that happen early on that create kind of a middle, uh, a little crisis for us.
0: Mm. That's like people talk today about the quarter life crisis, and I know some people joke about it, and other people don't. And I think there's that legitimacy in a certain respect, Joe, and the fact that people aren't necessarily making that headway of moving forward uh, that they used to in their twenties. You know, and yeah. and other people are. And that comparison, that dissatisfaction, that natural, very natural bodily desire uh, to be married to have romantic intimate relationships you know with someone of the opposite sex and even especially for women in particular to have children it's so normal like that that pain that desire that dissatisfaction in some ways it's it's normal and that's okay and I think that that's something that is helpful at times to recognize but it's what do we do with it now
1: yeah. I think it's a great question. I, I think, uh, you know, first of all, when you said that the quarter life crisis, John Mayer, I love John Mayer, uh, but he wrote <laughs> a song called Stop This Train. And it's a great, it's one of my favorite songs of his. But he talks about that. I'm getting older now. And I thought, God, you're 25, you're a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. When I think back, I thought, yeah, I'm getting older now. My parents are getting older now. What do, what do I do? I think the most important thing that we can do through every stage of life, whether you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, obviously, is to develop a meaningful, rich, spiritual life, you know, really focusing on that relationship with God, because that points you to what will really give you great satisfaction, how you love other people, you know, as yourself, how you serve other people. But the other thing that I think our faith really does, and, and you know, psychologists talk about this too, and I, I see this connection is that God really calls us to be present, to be mindful and aware of our immediate surroundings, right? Nowhere in scripture does God say, hey, freak out about the future and your small 401k. He doesn't do that. He doesn't talk about your past and say, you know, think and focus on your past and and feel miserable about all the mistakes you make. You know, it's really a call to being present, to being in the moment. Again, in the world of therapy or psychology, we call this mindfulness. But I think this is godliness. I think Mm -hmm. the whole idea of just being present, being aware of God and others and your life, that's the first place to start calming the anxiety that you feel if you're in your 20s and 30s and feel overwhelmed.
0: What do you think as well about... there's one moment where, okay, being present, but then the next is sometimes in order to be present, Joe, I think it requires that detachment from having to have what you're desiring and just kind of having this all-consuming desire to consume what that is. And kind of just an example, uh, a season in my life, you know, I had a Uh, my first child two years ago and boom, two weeks later, I find out that my husband gets this job offer and we're moving to the Midwest and like my earth was shattered and I was going, oh my goodness gracious, I never thought I would be so far away from family. And I really was finding that in being at peace and fighting, you know, that dissatisfaction, a lot of it required that I had to be detached from what I thought my life was going to look like or what I wanted it to look like. And that was part of what I had to, fight through it in order to be present in that moment. And I came to that realization that there are so many seasons in our life where we are dissatisfied. Like, I remember being in that season for most of my 20s, just feel like, man, I, I'm happy and I'm enjoying this, but there's something I'm longing for even more so. And then, you know, you get married and life is great and there are those great moments, but at the same time you realize that thing you thought that was going to completely satisfy you, whether it's your spouse or your child, that's not what's supposed to make you feel complete.
1: You're exactly right. I mean, you're you're really nailing it with that. And and really, it's funny, I I write about this, you know, in my first book, Defying Gravity, because I'm a young daddy and, you know, at seven years old, we discover my son, John has this neurological degenerative fatal disease, you know, and then we find out a few months later, my other son, who's four years old, has the same disease. So that shook Mm. us, obviously, to the core, you know, you have this expectation of having children, they're all cute, you know, the worst thing that they do is get, you know, peas stuck in their hair or something like that, you know, but, but then, then, yeah, I know, I still do that. But, but, You know, you have to get to a place where you say, wow, I had this expectation of life.
0: Oh, I think we lost Joe there. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he's about to say about that moment of expectation, that moment of desire. Again, it's so prominent in our lives, and if you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio, we're talking about that season of being unmarried and dissatisfied, or just dissatisfaction in general, but especially in those 20-year-old ranges and those 30-year-old ranges of, you know, so many people more than ever before are finding themselves single, uh, maybe struggling and desiring to have a baby, and reconciling that dissatisfaction. But that natural, that good desire to be married, that good desire to have a child, that normal desire in that season with also being at peace and being happy. And Joe, I really appreciated talking about the importance of being present. Uh, we we're talking about the importance of being detached. But Joe, you were talking a moment ago about, you know, these challenges you started experiencing with these diagnoses of your two sons and what your expectations were and what reality really was for you.
1: Yeah. You you have to get to a place like you were saying, you know, it's like, oh, my husband got a new job and all of a sudden we're moving to the Midwest and being disconnected. It's the expectations and sometimes the false expectations that we have about life. You know, again, when I achieve this, when I get this job, when I have a child, when I have a house, then I'll be happy. And that's just the opposite. First of all, you know, it's just not true. (laughs) You know, the science says no, those things don't actually make us feel happier they they kind of make us feel more dissatisfied because we get there with the expectation i'll be happier and we discover i'm not happier so again with the diagnosis of my kids right that i talk about in defying gravity you know i had this expectation of my kids growing up and going to school and going to college and me having grandkids one day when they were diagnosed with this fatal disease i had to let go of all expectations But I I guess the good that came from that is it forced me to live completely in the present moment and to focus on the blessings in the moment, not what I think might make me happy tomorrow or next year, but what exists right now. And I think, again, that's part of why in your 20s and your 30s, you experience so much dissatisfaction because you know, you, you start achieving things, these milestones, you graduate from college, you get your first job, you maybe get married, and you expect that those things are going to make you happy. But mm-hmm. they really don't. So again, going back to saying, okay, I've got to learn to accept what life actually is and what life brings to me. It's, don't, it's not that you don't aspire or try to achieve things. You know, I, I still try to do things like that. But it's that you've got to learn to be present in the moment. And, and I think that's where our greatest happiness comes. Unfortunately, it just takes a while for mm-hmm. us to get to that place.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's a choice. I think that's what's so difficult. It is an absolute choice. And you maybe here you are. Okay, you're coming up on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. You're in these celebrations. Look at all the joy around you. Be in that moment. Enjoy that moment because it is so easy to miss all the good that life has to offer and at the same time, know that that pull, that tug of dissatisfaction is normal in this season of life. But also, it always makes me think of St. Augustine's words when he talks about how our souls are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. And I think those are such important words yeah. for us to remember and be inspired, like you're saying, Joe, to dive into our faith in these seasons of life that we find ourselves in. You're listening to Trending with Timmery here on Relevant Radio. That's Joe Sikora, licensed marriage and family therapist. If you have a question for him, the number is 888-914-9149. You can also ask now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've also tagged Joe. You can find his podcast as well as information about his forthcoming book coming out next month. The whole world is going crazy, but you don't have to at JoeSikora.com. That's J-O-E-S-I-K-O-R-R-A dot com. We'll be right back here on Trending with Murray, Joe Secor, taking your questions. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Joe Sakura is with me today. If you have a question for him, give us a call, 888-914-9149, or you can ask now on social media. Just follow me at Timory, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Okay, calls are coming in. Let's start with Lisa from Milwaukee. Lisa, welcome to Trending. What is your question for Marriage and Family Therapist Joe Secora today? Hello, I wanted to know how your children were now and um,
1: how did you get past disappointment? You know what I mean? I, You may have felt that a little bit, so i just wondering. Well, <laughs> that's a great question, Lisa. Uh, Thanks for calling. I'd like to give you the short answer, and I will because of time constraints. There is kind of a longer answer. I I go through the whole process in my book, Defying Gravity. Um, My oldest son actually passed away about seven years ago, September 24th, 2015. So I live with a great awareness of the preciousness and the gift of life. And on, on one side, you might say, gosh, doesn't that cause you a lot of anxiety? Because my youngest son, who has the same disease, actually is is still with us, but you know, his days, like all of our days, are numbered, you know, not to sound crude or anything like that, but it's a blessing that he's with us still at the age of 27. You see, my greatest joy is to care for him. And I guess what I do is I I really live with that firm belief, you know, that my faith affirms. Is that life is a real gift and we are just passing through. We really are. And obviously, my son's diagnosis brought that home really hard and fast to me. But with that came a a tremendous amount of grace. You know, I mean, we made a big deal. We still continue to make a big deal about the little things in life. And, And I think that's one of the gifts. You know, we try, we strive, we work so hard to try to do great things in our life. But the truth is, real joy is found in the very simple things. And I make a big deal. I have a lot of fun. I laugh a lot with my son, you know. I mean, just over silly things like what clothes he's wearing, and you know, having a bowl of glory in the morning. We don't have a bowl of cereal. We have a bowl of glory. <laughs> yeah, you know, we make all that, a big deal about these little things. But that's kind of the the short answer.
0: And Joe, just kind of following up on Karina's question. Imagine you're probably pretty young, maybe in your twenties or thirties, when these diagnoses with your sons came up. Uh, really different place I imagine in your life. I see where you're at now, but going back to then, uh, how was that maybe more of a challenge at that particular time frame?
1: Well, I, I won't sugarcoat it. It was brutal. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, talk about expectations, uh, you know, kind of what led to the diagnosis of John and this fatal disease. You know, I had achieved things, you know, I was making, uh, you know, I had a career as an actor and stuntman. And I was doing okay. You know, I wasn't rich or famous, but I was doing okay. You know, we had bought our first house, uh, we, all these things. And I was playing baseball with my son in the front yard throwing the ball back and forth as a father and son. It's kind of a, you know, a Nelson Rockefeller feller moment. And the ball kept sailing past him. And I had this realization. I thought, he's either a really bad baseball player or there's something seriously wrong. And, uh, you know, it turned out there was something really seriously wrong. And so, yeah, it absolutely rocked my life. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my wife and I, as you can imagine, we really struggled But we made a choice. You know, you you said that word earlier, Timory, and you're right. You know, we made a choice. It didn't happen overnight. It it came with a lot of tears and struggle and prayer. But we made a choice to really live in the moment and and to try to just find that joy and the blessings of today. And, And that shift is really what saved our life. You know, we chose to love each other. We chose to see what was good and not what was wrong. Uh, you know, and, and that focus really supported us. But yeah, you talk about expectations, having to let go of the idea of healthy kids, of a bright future and everything else. Now we've had a wonderful life. Again, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't trade my life with anybody for anything, but you know, I had to let go of life as Joe hoped it would be and say, okay, God, you've gotta give me this picture. You've gotta give me this life. You've gotta paint this upon my heart so that I can really relish what you give me.
0: And I appreciate where you say, you know, you and your wife had to choose to see what was good, not what was wrong. And that's a choice you you make together. And you can make it individually at times and influence one another. But at the end of the day, especially for your marriage, in the midst of all the challenges, in the face of expectations being totally different than what you hope for, that choice is so strong, I think. And isn't that the challenge of free will? that our free will is sometimes the exact thing that can allow us to allow ourselves to become miserable.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, certainly having our own way doesn't lead to happiness. It really doesn't. And and again, if you looked at even just the scientific research, the, the psychological research on what leads us to happiness, it really is living as God intends us to live or wants us to live, which is to serve others, to love others, to to really work, to get along. All of these things are what make us happy. You know, In my practice, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the practice and the people I've worked with, but I've never seen, oh, wow, this person who is worth literally $100 million, they're happier than the person who is really poor. You know, mm-hmm. There just isn't this correlation. You can have the big house, you can have the fancy cars, and it gives you a slight bump in happiness, but it doesn't last. The things of God are what really make that joy last in our lives.
0: Amen. Thank you for your witness and for sharing your story, Joe, because it's so powerful and such an encouragement for all of us and our prayers for your son as well. You're listening to Trending with Murray here on Relevant Radio. That's Joe Sikora, licensed marriage and family therapist, taking your questions. Number is 888-914-9149. Mel- Mike from Albuquerque, New Mexico is asking, he said, I'm 50 years old and haven't really had a desire for marriage but I'm looking now. He said, is it too late for me?
1: No. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, one of my wife's dearest friends from college, uh, she was married. Her husband was tragically killed. Uh, But she is actually very close to becoming engaged. She's now in her 50s to a man who is never married. And he's in his late 50s. And they're, they're both open to the idea of really loving and, and giving their lives to each other. Uh, so, no, it's, I don't think it's ever too late. I, I think, Mike, that, um, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I'm not calling you old Mike. I'm in the same boat, same age group. <laughs> but, but we really can learn to live. There are unique challenges, I would say, that come with getting married later. Uh, you're used to living for yourself, doing everything that you want. Uh, you know, you've been doing that your your life. I'm just assuming. I don't really know for sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden when you get married, you have to make a lot of compromises and, and choose to serve, you know, your spouse. So that can be a real challenge, but I think it's an awesome opportunity. Get married, Mike. You'll live longer and be happier. And I realize, (laughs)
0: Joel. I realize a lot of people too will say, "Okay, you know, we can't have kids now. Is there any point still?" And I keep thinking of a number of people I know where they see that gift of spiritual motherhood and fatherhood that has been lived out prior to marriage and in a different way as married people as well. But there was a couple I met at church when I was living in the Midwest, and the friendliest, most loving couple had this rich, rich faith. and they were so kind always when after mass, so they're they kind of, we had a hard time meeting people and we were living out there. It took was really difficult to build community, but they come up to us and say hello and hello to our daughter and ask how we were. And I saw that spiritual motherhood and fatherhood being practiced in both of them in many ways. And lo and behold, as time went on, you know, I thought, man, this is a married couple that's been married for forever. And I find out they've been married for five years, that both of them were widowed and never thought that they would remarry. And lo and behold, they remarried in their 50s and they have this very, very beautiful and strong relationship but it was also you know them each individually making peace with the challenges they faced and having been widowed and being single and learning how to live you know, a single life and then suddenly learning how to oh wow this actually might be a, a second um opportunity to be married and just the way that that journey played out for them was very profound but i saw that they had made a lot of peace with where they were at in life before that as well and that was so important to help prepare them for the vocation that they would end up living together.
1: Yes, 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 you're right. You know, there have been studies, you know, when we look at marriage and what we, quote unquote, give up versus, versus, you know, what we get when we get married. Yes, you give up, in a sense, your own life. Marriage, as the Apostle Paul says, is a decision to serve the other. But that doesn't make us less happy. In fact, just the opposite. You know, when we really give ourselves to others, you know, maybe you're not a biological parent, but you can love other children, you can be a foster parent, you can adopt, of course, but just giving to the lives of other young people to mentor them, to foster these other lives, what you find is that you are happier. And again, this is consistent with our faith as it is with scientific research on this. So, you know, we can really live the way God wants to live out that married life, uh, you know, and, and find great sat- life satisfaction from it.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's not without its challenges.
0: Follow-up question on that. Mike from Milwaukee is a- asking, is adoption possible for those older couples who are not able to have children? What are your thoughts on, you know, adoption for that season uh, a little later in life?
1: I think it's great. I'm not an expert in this area. Uh, but I think that older parents are frequently uh, better parents. The big challenge is, you know, you'll find when, you know, you get older, you know, in your 40s and your 50s, and it's been a while since you've had those little toddlers running around the house, you don't have the physical stamina. You know, it's hard to get up three times in the middle of the night or doing all that when you're older, for sure, it's a challenge. But you're, you're also more mature. You're you're more willing to really lay down your life to sacrifice for that child, so I, I think it's a real opportunity. And I would say, yeah, if you've got it within you, if you feel a call to want to, you know, nurture another life, that's a that's an awesome thing, and you can do it. But you know, maybe having a baby would, you know, adopting a young baby would be challenging. But you know, certainly adopting a child who's older you know, in their, you know, eight, nine, ten teens, that has its mm-hmm. own unique challenges as well. But and you I know, think- what can you say? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned adopting an older child because it's often uh, everyone wants a newborn baby, a young child, but it's often the older children who are in, whether it be the foster care system, which is totally different from adoption, or um, be needing to be placed for adoptions that are harder to place with a family because of, you know, that And I think this is one of those areas where I've talked about, especially as Catholics, we really do have a role to step up a little bit more to be open to adopting older children um, and also being open to entering into the messiness that is completely separate of the foster care system and these kids who just need these stable, uh, loving homes. But on a separate note, with regard to uh, older couples adopting children, I keep thinking of a couple of friends of mine over the last couple years, especially as I've had uh, my first daughter and now waiting for our second, who have this really great um, desire for children, are incredible parents. But, you know, maybe one of the spouses has said, we're not having any more children because uh, I just think I'm too old. And, you know, I look at the numbers where people kind of create in their mind this cutoff, and I think it's very prevalent, uh, unfortunately, in the medical community to talk about, quote-unquote, geriatric mothers, um, or to, you know, label certain age ranges as too old today, when relatively, especially looking in those 40s, There's so much life to be lived and looking at life expectancy, uh, that fear, unless there's a real medical issue, I think in many ways is very unfounded today.
1: Yeah, I I think, again, every age has its unique challenges. Like when you, you know, if you have a child when you're 21, you know, you got that physical energy, but you also feel like, gosh, I'm cutting myself off from having fun and playing and going out with friends. When you're older, it's a different set of challenges. But, you know, I was thinking... My sister was 40th when she, early 40s, maybe later uh, when she had her fourth child. Uh, I know a lot of parents who are older when they have their, uh, you know, kids and they're wonderful, wonderful parents. So, you know, again, you have to just accept the fact that it's not a life, it doesn't make life less when you have children. It makes life more when we love. And, and even adopting special needs kids and everything, you know, you would think, oh, I don't have it within me to do that. You will, you know, you will. I, I, one of my dear friends, he's a psychologist and he has a Down syndrome child. And obviously I have my two special needs kids. And I always laughed when he'd say, he'd, go, he'd always tell me in secret, he'd lean over and he goes, Joe, he goes, he's my favorite, <laughs> the Down syndrome child. And, and what he meant is just, you know, you find this incredible capacity to love. And, and we we all have this capacity to love so much more than you would think. You know, we have this idea, this expectation, oh, if my son or daughter is beautiful or handsome or athletic or smart, I'll love them more. It's not like that at all. You know, it's not like that at all. Think about this season, Jesus coming into the world as a baby in such this humble circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if we embrace that sense of humility, if we embrace the sense of real love, our lives can be so much more. You have so much. You co- ask such great questions, and I feel like I, I ramble on. I go. I gotta shut no, up. <laughs> go ahead. Deborah. No, it's
0: great. <laughs> much wisdom and knowledge coming on this. Last question, Karina on Instagram. Back kind of to our question that season of dissatisfaction. Said, I'm in my late twenties. On Christmas, I struggle um, being single with that frustration in the moment. How do I find peace in those moment-to-moment instances where there's so much joy around me, but at the same time, that dissatisfaction?
1: Yeah. I mean, what a great question. And the first thing that I want to say is you're not alone. I mean, a lot of young people, and again, we fall off, our level of happiness in our early 20s actually dips. Quite honestly, sometimes some people say until about in our early 40s. So what you're feeling, the dissatisfaction, I I get the desire to be in a relationship and everything else. But even if you were married, there would be some real challenges uh, you know, and feeling satisfied during the holidays. But I would say, first of all, take note, realize that you're not alone. Uh, and then I would say, you know, give of yourself. You know, a lot of times our, our misery, my, and I'll include myself, comes when it's I'm self-focused. But when I come become other-focused, when I focus on how can I make other people's lives, whether that's my client's, or my son or my wife or my brothers or sisters or friends or enemies <laughs> if i can make their life better you know in a, some kind of meaningful way that can give you a lot of joy so i would say go out try to contribute maybe donate some time over this holiday season uh, you know go down to a saint vincent de paul or somewhere else feed the homeless Do something like that, and I think you'll find a great deal of meaning and joy come into your heart during this difficult time for you.
0: That's Joe Sikora. Stay tuned for his forthcoming book, This New Year. The whole world's going crazy, but you don't have to. You can learn more at JoeSikora.com. That's J-O-E-S-I-K-O-R-R-A.com. You can also subscribe to his podcast there as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on Trending Joe I'll be back in just a moment, these final days of Advent leading up to Christmas, something really fun to incorporate in your home on Christmas, test yourselves, test others, the 12 Day of Christmas song actually has a fun, broken down meaning and tradition that has been learned over the years that I'd love to share with you. My favorite things to do in the Christmas season, that liturgical season, as we mark those 12 days of Christmas, is to start incorporating the 12 days of Christmas song. I've broken it down before here on Trending, and I always put it up on my social media. It's supposedly a tradition, if you follow the story, uh, where when the historic persecution of the church was happening of Catholics in England between 1558 and 1829, uh, Catholics weren't allowed to publicly practice their faith. And so it said that that 12 Days of Christmas song about all the things that your true love gives to you was actually a hidden catechesis. Now, I know there's a lot of debate between behind the kind of the historicity and whether or not this was really a tradition that occurred in England. Whether it is something that happened or not, I think it's really fascinating and you can find some source material on it from Anne Ball in her book, The Handbook of Catholic Sacramentals. Uh, I find it fascinating, and even if it is some fun thing that someone incorporated at some point into the 12th Days of Christmas song, I think it's a great way to practice our catechism within our homes, whether you're an adult or you have children. Uh, The last couple of years, it's been a good memorization game. My husband and I kind of, okay, do we remember what each one is? So we start with the fact that your true love gives to you a partridge and a pear tree. So the first symbol would be the true love is Jesus Christ born on Christmas day. And that's the first day of Christmas. And the partridge on the pear tree marks the true love um, that is sent to us from Christmas being that gift and the 12 Days of Christmas song uh, that we start to unpack partridge in a pear tree being Jesus Christ himself, that he is the true love and that God sent God himself for the sacrifice of all of us. And it's that reminder for us that we belong to Christ and our future Uh, is with Christ, and we see that projected in the new life of Christ and seeing it, the the projection of what will happen on the cross and that we too are called to be a sacrifice. Then the true love gives to you not just a partridge and a pear tree, but two turtle doves, and the two turtle doves represent the Old and the New Testament, right? The Old Covenant and the New Covenant that Jesus Christ was foreshadowed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. Three French hens stand for the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. And these virtues are virtues, remember, that are infused at our baptism and are absolute gifts from God. They're actions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They're something that we can pray for, but they're an absolute gift. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that these three virtues have the one triune God for their origin, motive, and object. And it says the theological virtues are the foundation of Christian moral activity. They animate it and give it its special character. This is why it's so important that we maintain being in a state of grace so that these virtues can come to life and bear fruit in our lives. The four calling birds stand for the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh Maybe you learned this prayer when you were a child, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that bless this bed that I lie on. Uh, we're reminded by the significance of knowing who the four gospel writers are, of the importance of the written word of God. Uh, this was passed down for years via oral tradition and the many stories of the historical counts of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder for us, if the catechism, if the passing on of knowing the church, knowing the specifically the Gospels was so significant at a time of persecution for Christians, isn't a reminder for us that as we have easy access to our Bibles, that we should be memorizing stories, frequently reading sacred scripture, and passing those texts and those stories and the rich meaning down to the next generation as well. The five golden rings and the 12 days of Christmas song uh, stand for the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah, That would be the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, Here we really read from our human anthropology so much about uh, human joys and faults and the covenants made between God and his chosen people in the course of salvation history. We read about some of the most important patriarchs uh, in salvation history, and we're reminded that covenants make family and that God made the greatest covenants with us in salvation history, and they led up to Jesus Christ himself who is the greatest gift for us, opening the gates of heaven. The six geese lane, uh, stand for the six days of creation, representing the six days of creation where God was working as creator of the u- universe, developing the human person. And I always think of this as so important at this point in history, that we recognize that in the catechism that was being passed down, if you follow this tradition, that during the time in Europe, in England, when Christians were being persecuted between 1558 and 1829 in England, that these are the tenets of the faith that they were wanting to really pass in, pass down focus on, that creation in six days was significant. Why? Because there's a blueprint for the world and the human person. God made all things with a purpose, with a beginning and with an end. And it re-confirms uh, that differentiation between God as creator And us as creatures dependent on God, the creator who has a plan for us, and that that is the best outcome and plan for our lives. The seven swans of swimming stand for, uh, this one I think is a little bit of a stretch, but, or actually the next one is, sorry, I'll get to it. But this stands for the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we kind of have two interpretations here. Uh, in the hymn, the, the sevenfold gifts known from the Holy Spirit is knowledge, wisdom, understanding, courage, counsel, piety, and fear of the Lord. You can find these in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. But then you also have that these have historically stood for the seven gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12 by St. Paul, where he talks about having gifts that differ according to the graces given to us. For one prophecy, another faith, another serving and teaching, Uh, those who exhort and those who contribute in liberality, those who give aid with zeal and those who do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Then we have the eight maids of milking in the 12 Days of Christmas song, standing for the eight beatitudes that we could break down and spend a whole show on. But think about it, those who are poor, who mourn, who are meek, who hunger, who are merciful, who are pure of heart, who are peacemakers, who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, uh, that we will follow in the path of Christ in that persecution, that peace, and that, that purity that we are called to have as well the nine ladies dancing. This is the one that's a little bit of a stretch. Stand for the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, but correct, if you're correcting me, there are actually 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. But the way it's broken down is that three of those, fr- or six of those fruits are kind of combined together, where uh, patience and forbearance are combined, goodness and kindness, as well as continency and chastity. And you have fidelity, modesty, mildness, peace, joy, and charity, as well, and So I think that one's a bit of a stretch, but I see how it can fit. Again, whether you believe that this was part of what actually occurred when Catholics were being persecuted in England, or you find it a really fun tradition that came out of this song. Either way, it's a great way to practice your catechesis and memorization of really important things in our faith. Uh, The Ten Pipers, or sorry, Ten Lords Leaping stand in the song for the Ten Commandments. That's an easy one. And just a little reminder, I think it's so important that we know what these Ten Commandments are and we ponder how we might struggle in a unique unique way with each of them in our own way. The Eleven Pipers Piping, this is a neat one, stands for the Eleven Faithful Apostles, Judas being the one unfaithful apostle. It's a reminder to pray for the intercession of the apostles. And The Twelve Drummers Drumming. This one's my favorite because it's a challenge for us to actually really make sure we are paying attention to this. That is, the Twelve Drummers Drumming represent the 12 Articles of Faith in the Apostles' Creed. If you look at paragraph 185 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, you can really break down each of those articles and ponder this Christmas, on the 12th day of Christmas, am I really truly believing this? Is my family believing this? How can we work on diving into the catechesis of this and the catechism? So stay tuned, I'll be posting the 12 days of Christmas, uh, all of this as well on social media, but it's a really fun tradition to bring into your home, making sure we understand and know these catechetical elements of our faith. Wishing you very soon, hopefully a Merry Christmas and we'll see if I'm with you tomorrow, still waiting for the baby.